Welcome to Role-Playing History, the podcast where we explore the history of role-playing games. I'm Wayne Davis, and I'll be your guide for today's tour. Episode 35, Learning from My Mistakes, or How Not to Be a GM. First things first, I know we've picked up some new listeners over the past few weeks, and if you've been going back through the archives, you typically don't see me doing something quite like what I'm doing today. Fact is, I typically don't do how-to shows on this podcast, and that's because, for the most part, I feel like there's a lot of other people out there that do that type of show, and they do it a whole hell of a lot better than I can. So why am I doing a show like this today? Well, after my appearance on Tales from the Tavern a couple weeks ago, I decided to do a self-evaluation of how I run my games and how I act as a player in other people's games. And I decided if I was going to dissect my own campaign to see what did and didn't work, I should at least try to get a little extra mileage out of it and discuss it with you. Now, before I start this self-evaluation, I do need to toss a couple of things out there. One, I don't claim that any of the advice I'm giving you here is the only way to handle things, nor am I necessarily saying it's the best way to handle things. Advice I'm giving here today is to provide an alternate way to handle things from the way that I did and hopefully avoid issues I brought down upon myself due to poor decision making. Two, this one's a little more personal. I know that most of my game group listens to the podcast every week, so I just wanted to let all of you know that I'm not using scenarios that are going to call any of you out. I'm calling myself out. However, some of you might be getting mentioned by name with praise for things that you did that at least temporarily bailed me out from some of my bad decisions. Number three, you are more than welcome to agree or disagree with me. Like I said in point one, I'm not saying my suggestions are the only way to do it. If you disagree strong enough, you are more than welcome to reach out to me or to comment in the YouTube video if that's where you're getting this. The only thing I ask is that all of our comments be constructive. After all, I'm using this as an opportunity to teach and guide others who want to run games, so we need to be constructive adults. Okay, so with that little piece of business out of the way, let's get going. Now, before we get into my actual campaign, I wanted to point out something that our group had been doing that we had to rectify. For the past several years, there have been two of us rotating as GMs in the group, myself and my friend Jim. I can already hear what you're saying. Well, how's that a bad thing? That isn't a bad thing. How we were rotating was. See, our, our group plays every other Saturday night, so in the average month, we get two game sessions. And during our previous rotation, I was running one night while Jim was running the other night. So to make it as clear as I can, each game ran once a month. I think you can see the issue here. Even though Jim and I were running different systems, as I was running one version or another of D&D and Jim was running anything but D&D, it was getting difficult for either of us to really feel like we were either getting traction running our game or the rest from running that we get when we just get that chance to kick back and play. Any of you longtime running GMs can understand exactly where I'm coming from. And look, I know there are some folks out there who prefer to GM rather than play. Absolutely nothing wrong with that, but there's a lot of us who like to both run and play, so getting the opportunity to do both means just a little bit more. Funny thing about all of this is that Jim and I had both been feeling the same way about that arrangement for a while, but neither one of us wanted to say anything to the other because we didn't want to upset that proverbial apple cart. 
Now, once he said something, I readily agreed, and the group agreed as a whole that we'd go back to gaming the way we had for quite some time before. One GM would run their game every session until they either finished the campaign or decided they needed to take a break in the storytelling. The other GM would then take over, or one of the other players who liked to run a game from time to time, and it would be so on and so forth and so on and so forth. Now, I'm sure there are some of you who are wondering what the big deal here is. Well, if your group can do it the way we'd been doing it, then kudos to you. You just keep on trucking, doing what you're doing. However, I would suggest that running the way we are running now is a better fit for our group, and it may be a better fit for your group, especially if you're a fairly new GM. Running one campaign until it reaches a conclusion allows for the GM to, as I said, get their footing in their world, whether it's a purchased module or a homebrewed world. It also allows for the players to really figure out who their characters are, and in my opinion, really allows for the types of role-playing that I like to see in my games. Of course, if your group has the ability to play multiple nights a week, the opportunity to have multiple games going at the same time works better, as you can better define what gets played when. But that sort of timing isn't a luxury our group has, and I would bet it's a luxury most of your groups don't have either. So I suppose my first takeaway for you for today's episode is this. Run one game at a time. Now, if you've got more than one GM in your group, I would encourage them to start working on their game idea as soon as they can, because having that option available to switch to another GM is something I find very valuable. Of course, if you're the group's only GM, this may not be an option you have, and I've got some more tips for this coming up in just a little bit. So with a bit of background out of the way, let's dig into the campaign proper. And I'm going to start with mistakes I made when I originally created it, so you can see where I may have messed myself up from the very start. Now, I have to start by saying that during the worst of the COVID pandemic, our group had been gaming online from our homes. During that time, I'd been running Descent into Avernus, which is a pretty good D&D 5th edition module. However, when we made the decision to return to in-person gaming early in 2021, I wanted to get back to running a homebrew campaign world, which I've dabbled in a lot over the years. And I decided I wanted to do something really cool for my players. So, I came up with the idea that due to some type of massive shift, my world had suddenly changed and become overrun with undead. This change would be kind of like a chaos wave, starting in one part of my world and taking over the rest of it bit by bit. Now, if I'd left it with this concept, I think I'd have been okay. However, I got a little bit ambitious. See, during lockdown, I'd rewatched Matt Colville's Chain of Acheron games on YouTube, and I loved the idea of an adventuring company that, like the one he'd set up for the chain, and I decided I wanted to do that with my group. So, for those of you who are unfamiliar, the chain is set up kind of like a milit faux military organization, group of senior officers, they're the leader of the group, there are junior officers under them, then you have rank and file, and the way Matt set it up, the players control the senior officers, with the majority of the junior officers and all the rank and file being NPCs. However, he did have each of his players create at least one junior officer in order to give them another character to run in case he wanted to do something along the lines of a junior officer mission, or, as became the case a few times during his game, a PC died. That would give the player a ready-made replacement who already understood what was going on. So that's what I did. I had each of my players create a senior officer and a junior officer, they each only did one, and I had them choose their positions off the rank chart I obtained from the MCDM Reddit. Or at least that was the plan. 
The execution was a little less than stellar on my part. Where I messed up was I didn't sit each player down with the chart and confirm what their position was in the group. That meant there were a lot of folks who were pretty sure what their positions were, but they didn't know what the benefits were that, that their position would give the group. And ultimately, a lot of times, they just ignored those benefits and just worried on focusing on playing their character to the best of their ability, which is what they should have done. And like I said, that's not their fault. If I had taken an extra 30 minutes or so at the beginning to get all of it nailed down, it could have been a lot more interesting for the players to be able to utilize. So that's where I made my first mistake of the campaign. But I decided I wasn't done cribbing from Colville just yet. If you've watched the first episode of the campaign of the chain, you know where I'm going to go here. But if you haven't, this is a spoiler alert. The very first combat of that series sees the big bad evil guy's minions do away with the commander of the chain. The rest of the company, realizing that they can't defeat the group, has to run away and regroup. I thought it was awesome storytelling decided I wanted to use that for my campaign. I knew, therefore, I was going to have to choose the commander myself because this was going to be someone who was going to have their character die within the first half hour or so of the very first game session. Plus, I knew I'd have to work with them outside of the game to let them know what was up and I'd have to ensure that they were going to be on board with this. I also decided then to choose who the second in command was because that person was going to be elevated to commander once the initial commander died. Now, those choices were fairly easy, and I have to admit, I actually got that part of this right. Jim was the guy I tapped to be the noble sacrifice, and he was on board with what I was planning. He went so far as to create a really cool character for starting the game, even though he knew what was up. He did it so he wouldn't tip my hand for the big reveal that was going to come. Kind of hated to kill that character off. Just kind of. Lesson number two, then, is if your GM asks you for your help and you agree to do something like this, you gotta go all in so you can help. Now, where I messed up was in how all of this went down. See, the initial attack in my campaign was wave after wave of undead. I started out with the undead being a lesser challenge to the group so as to give them some fairly decent combat. Then I turned up the heat by increasing both the challenge of the undead and the number. And then I added the Dracoliches. <laughs> so on paper anyway, I put together an opening encounter that should have accomplished exactly what I set out to do. Kill the commander, cause the rest of the group to disengage and run like hell, and send the message to the group that death was a definite possibility during this new campaign. And yeah, I can hear the chuckling of you veteran GMs out there. See, there's something you have to remember when you're putting together encounters, whether they're small, short, and easy to win, or encounters like the one I'm describing. The great majority of the time, if you paint your group into a corner and leave them with two choices, your group will choose the opposite choice of the one that you want them to. I, I knew that was a possibility, because I know my group. If you give my group three choices to make, they're going to almost always figure out a fourth choice you haven't considered. So in this case, I knew them going against what I wanted was a distinct possibility. And, as I kept pouring in undead, the group continued to fight. Forget for a moment that they'd been given orders by the commander of their company to retreat. These characters had decided that so long as they could continue to at least keep pace with the threat, they were going to keep fighting. I should note, however, that a point came where some of the group was ready and willing to follow the order and retreat, while others wanted to stay and fight. So at this point, I had two choices. Let the players keep fighting until more of them died. This one wouldn't have probably taken much, as the group as a whole had been taking decent amounts of damage through the course of the battle, and as I kept pouring undead onto the battlefield, some of the characters were beginning to get surrounded. 
My second option, pull a DM fiat trick. Yeah, I chose the second option, though I, I got to admit, I should have probably chosen that first one. What I did was I paused the game. I literally stopped my group from acting mid-combat round. I then laid out exactly what I saw going on in the combat, and I detailed it out to them to the logical conclusion based on how things had gone. In other words, I took my adventure book and I smacked my group over the head with it. And in retrospect, I should have just let them get to that point on their own by letting option one play its way out. So here's another lesson for you. If your group looks at insurmountable odds and still wants to try it, let them. I mean, there's almost always going to be at least one member of the group who decides to cut and run, and that's okay too. But if your players want to keep fighting well past the point that you as the GM think they should, that's their call to make, not yours. In the end, we hadn't even been playing my new campaign for like 30 minutes, and I'd already pulled a bit of a sour taste in the mouths of my group. I mean, they eventually got over it, but that's just not a good way to start a brand new game, in my opinion. For the record, what would I have done if I'd allowed them to fight and more of them died? Well, okay, let's play the what-if game. Now, as I remember it, there was already one dead PC, but of course that was the one that was planned. The team's cleric was trying to heal those who were injured, but was also willing to keep fighting if need be. A couple of the others were also willing to fight, but as I remember it, one or two of the others, they were perfectly willing to cut and run. So, for our example, let's say I had three that wanted to stay and two that were going to cut and run. Well, the two that wanted to cut and run, they would have sat the rest of the combat out, and I'd get to them with their own piece of the action later on. Those who stayed and fought would have eventually fallen. With the numbers I had on the battlefield, it is a definite that it would have happened. The question for me would have been how many more would have needed to fall before anyone still alive decided to cut bait. At that point, I would have gone to those who ran, ran them through the next section of my notes, which consisted of them running through the town to catch a ship out of the area, then worked with the players who lost characters to get their junior officers promoted and become a part of the senior staff. I'm not going to sit here and say I wouldn't have had some sort of conversation with my players about it outside of the game. I know me. I would have had to say something. But I would have let the characters die, and the players would have moved on. I also know my players. Truth be told, that probably would have sent a much more powerful message about the seriousness of this campaign than any of the words I could have said. So that's a big missed opportunity for me, and frankly for my group. And again, that's, that's all on me. So learn from my mistake on this one. All right, so my players escaped the slaughter. They caught a ship and they headed north. Now, I didn't give them a lot of choice on where to head, but I don't think they were overly concerned or pissed off about that, especially not after what I'd already done to them. The city they landed in was a nice, big, well-established city that I'd spent a ton of time on in preparation for this game. So, this means I was ready to get that whole undead ball rolling, right? Right? No. Like I said a minute ago, I had been watching a lot of streaming games during lockdown, and I was beginning to consider myself a much more creative GM than I actually am in reality. What I figured I'd do is I'd get the group involved in some of the politics of the city. That way, they'd have more of a personal stake in things when the undead eventually came rolling into town. Now, I do have to admit, that actually worked out fairly well. But, as with a number of things I did with this campaign, I took a step forward to take two steps back. And I really started to mess myself up from a perspective of what I had told my players to expect when they were creating characters for the game. I mean, I told them they were members of an adventuring company that had existed for centuries, but for the past several decades, they'd specialized in dealing with undead. That meant that most of the players created characters designed to fight undead. 
not negotiate contracts with bureaucrats. So while my players were doing whatever they could to keep themselves entertained during this section of the game, it became apparent to me that they needed to do more ass-kicking and less ass-kissing. And lo and behold, in the midst of all of that, I hit a creative dry spell. Look, man, these things happen. I mean, anybody who's ever done anything creative can tell you you'll go through periods of time where you just don't have it. Well, after speeding through 100 pages of material I'd written, I didn't have it anymore. And let's be honest, what I should have done is told my group I was running dry and we should have taken a few games off. I should have talked to Jim about maybe having him run something for a while or talked to one of the others about seeing if they wanted to run something, but I didn't do it. Jim had kind of expressed feelings of burnout with running as well, and so I didn't want to dump having to run onto him. Never bothered to ask any of the others, and, and again, that that's on me. Okay, so if I wasn't going to ask anybody else to run, couldn't I have asked to play board games or card games for a couple of weeks? Yeah, sure could have, but I didn't. And again, that's on me. Now, there's another option I could have considered. I could have talked to my group about hitting pause on this new campaign for a few weeks and decide to run like a module or something for a little bit. It would have had the advantage of still playing D&D with the added benefit of me not having to create new material. But I didn't do that either. And I didn't do that one because I have a history of ending campaigns early. I run them until I get bored with them and then pause them to do something else and then ultimately I never get back to them. Believe me, my group is very well aware of this and they've joked with me about it on more than one occasion. So the very last thing I wanted to do was take a campaign that was really only a couple months old and hit pause on it. I know my group would have understood it, but I couldn't bring myself to do it. So, so there's another lesson here. If you're not feeling creative and that lack of creativity is impacting your game, talk to your group about it. Work with them to come up with a solution that works for all of you. Believe me, if they're your friends, they'll be willing to help. Okay, since I didn't decide to stop the game and allow my creative juices to recover, what did I do? For me, I did the absolute worst thing. I started running off the cuff. Now let's be honest here. There's absolutely nothing wrong with running off the cuff. I've played with GMs over the years who do it better than anybody. As a matter of fact, I've played with GMs who can run off the cuff better than a lot of other GMs can with two weeks of preparation. These are people who can make magic with just a couple of words jotted down on a single sheet of paper. I, however, am not one of those people. When I run off the cuff, I tend to see my carefully crafted game go completely off the rails. Now, that's not the fault of my players. It's my fault for a couple of reasons. First off, I don't really keep good notes about what's going on during the game. That means there's a whole lot of stuff that happens that I don't ultimately follow up on, so there's a ton of loose threads out there. Or even worse, stuff that I haven't written down that I don't remember that my players are going a month or so later, hey, didn't we talk to that guy? And oh, shit. Yeah, all right, I guess you did. Second, I tend to take a let's-see-how-that-works attitude towards things my players want to try. I mean, I tend to do a certain amount of that anyway, but when I'm running off the cuff, I really tend to allow my players to drag the campaign wherever they want it to go. Now, I'm not going to say that second point is necessarily a bad one. Again, if your style allows for it and your players can handle it, you can fairly easily have a one or two point thought for your night and let the players drive the action. But you have to avoid the pitfalls of the number one on that list. You have to take good notes. And that's not something I'm always the best at. So, what happened was that a Creativity Challenge DM was running a group through a game. It could have gone well, but it didn't. 
And at this point, I think I should point something else out that I'd done to myself that kind of hamstrung me a little bit. See, I, I mentioned a couple of times that I'd written up about a hundred page of material for this new campaign. Well, if you understand the basics of telling a story, you understand that a good story must have three parts, a strong opening, a midpoint that gives us an idea of where the ending is approximately headed, and a solid ending. So of that 100 pages, what did we have? Well, I mean, we, we had a fairly solid opening. I mean, I knew how I wanted to get this campaign started, and I pretty much managed to do that. What about a midpoint? Nope. Well, I at least knew how I wanted to end, right? <laughs> yeah, I think you know the answer to that. And that's my next big teaching point. Look, at the bare minimum, I needed to have an idea of how this thing was supposed to end. I mean, I knew there was some sort of big bad evil guy who was running the show and the campaign would end when they were dealt with. But I didn't have any more detail than that. So when I was running off the cuff, I was making up a ton of stuff as I went along. And then I had to figure out how to piece together the next batch of stuff I was pulling out of nowhere with the previous stuff I'd pulled out of nowhere. If I'd given myself at least a three or four line outline of what I was looking to do, I'd have had a bit of a roadmap to guide me as I dove off that cliff. I didn't, and my game suffered for it. So here's another lesson to be learned. If you're writing your own adventure, make sure you've got an idea of how the adventure should come to a close. What's the thing that needs to be solved or overcome for your group to achieve success and close out the adventure? You don't have to have specifics here. I mean, you don't have to know the name or have a ton of stats for whatever it is. But if you have at least the very basics of how you need things to conclude, you can fill things out as your group plays through. Plus, if you know where your end point is, you can approximate a halfway point. That point would be where the tide starts to turn towards the end of the campaign. That midpoint could be someone your group meets that has something that leads them towards the big bad evil guy. It could be a combat that leads to them obtaining information. Whatever it is, if you know where you're ending, you can figure out how to get there. Now, obviously, your opening has to be detailed. If you don't have it fully formed, you're probably going to regret it. So even though you're outlining all three points, once you've done that, this is where you want to spend a lot of time filling out details. I messed up by not outlining my campaign, then I doubled down by focusing solely on the first third of it. And that crippled my ability to be the kind of GM I want to be. And if I'm being honest, I think it took away some of the fun from my group. Now, it should also be noted that during this period of creative dryness, there was some player shuffling going on within the group itself. My wife had joined us a session or two in because she's been interested in gaming throughout our marriage, and she decided this would be the game she'd want to try to come in on. She gamed for a while, but I think my creative dry spell combined with her inexperience as a, as a gamer at a game table caused her to not enjoy it as much as she might have wanted to, so she left. Now, with a new opening, we filled it with two new gamers. And by new, I mean young and rather inexperienced. That wasn't a big deal, because we like having new gamers at our table. In our opinion, fresh blood and fresh game style keeps us young and thinking as gamers. However, the fact that we had two new gamers coming into a situation that was becoming a bit of a goat rope was not positive for them. I mean, as a GM, I was really checked out. I mean, my creative well was dry, I was reaching for stuff for my group to run through on a given night, and I was frequently taking advantage of my group's propensity for taking itself off track to really not have to think too hard. It also meant I wasn't the type of teacher I would like to be from the GM seat, and our two new arrivals suffered for it. Now, 
Look, I'm not trying to say you can't let new players into your game midstream. If your group is game for it, by all means do so. I'm just pointing this out to show why choosing to not be honest with myself and my group about where I was creatively hurt a whole lot of people before it got any better. So through all of this, I was sort of putting some undead encounters out there, was sort of getting the group involved in the political machinations of the city, and sort of having them find out things about the company history. Some of it worked, some of it didn't, and unfortunately there was a casualty of all of this. Now, remember when I mentioned the cleric at the beginning of the campaign? I mentioned how she was healing the injured, but was also looking for a fight with the undead? Well, it turns out that that cleric was specifically designed to be a part of an undead hunting campaign. Monica, the player who created that cleric, had been doing everything she could to have a good time playing in a game that her character really wasn't created for. And that should have been apparent to me, but... Monica's such a damn good role player, I had no clue that there was any sort of issue there. And truth be told, I'm not 100% sure it was a player issue. Knowing how good of a role player Monica is, it might have been her role playing the frustration of her character. I'll have to ask. But regardless, the cleric left the party. She decided she'd be better off tracking down the remaining undead on the continent and destroying them rather than playing politics. So we lost a character. Now, again, Monica brought her junior officer character up to the senior staff, then created a new junior officer character, and play went on. And if she was personally upset with me, she never told me. And having known her for as long as I have, I believe she'd have told me if she was. But we have two teaching points that we can make out of all of this. First off, when you're prepping your campaign, make your campaign type clear to your players. If you'll remember, I told my players this was going to be an undead-heavy campaign. So to them, they were going to be knee-deep in skeletons, zombies, mumbies, and all of that. They didn't anticipate having to deal with city officials or putting together their own compound for the company or, or, or that kind of minutia. Based on what I told them, they created characters that would play best for that type of game. I then gave them a game that was different, very different, from what they'd prepared for. So make sure the type of campaign you're running is understood by your players prior to the character creation. That way they can create a character that they want to play in the game you're running. Now, if you get into the game and a player doesn't seem to be enjoying playing their character, this would be a good time to pull them aside and talk to them about it. If it's not something you feel can be worked out, I see nothing wrong with allowing them to create a new character and ditch the old one. Why? Because in my opinion, the game is really all about your players having fun. If they're not having fun, it doesn't matter how good your material is or how talented a GM you are, then the game isn't any good. I have said this a thousand times before on this show. I will probably say it a thousand more. Rule number one is if your players are having fun, you are doing your job as a GM. Now to have them recognize your brilliance is also fun, but I digress. So if something like a character change is what it takes, by all means allow it. The second point I wanted to make here is really directed more at players. If you're not having fun, you need to speak up. Pull your GM aside and express your feelings to them. Be respectful, obviously, but let them know why you're not having fun. Then see if they're willing to work with you to improve it. I'm going to bet that if you're gaming with friends, you're going to start seeing improvement. I'll also bet that if you aren't having fun with the game, there's a good chance at least one other person at your table isn't, and if you bring it up to the GM, chances are good someone else will speak up as well. Now, as a GM, you do have a responsibility in this instance. And no, it isn't to just do whatever your players ask you to do. 
your responsibility is to listen to what your players are telling you. If they're not having fun, you need to take that seriously. Because if your players don't have fun for long enough, you won't have players to worry about having fun. I don't care how good of friends you are with the players in your group. Nobody is going to keep playing a game if they're not having any fun. Now, just because you're listening to your players, it doesn't mean you have to do what they're asking you to do. You have the right to find a middle ground with your players. And so long as all of this is being done respectfully, in theory, you should be able to make everybody happy. Or at least make sure that everybody isn't pissed off sitting at the game table. Like I said, you have to communicate and you have to be willing to compromise. Now, all of that being said, I think if your expectations for your game are known and your players feel like they've got a stake in the game, you should be okay. But like I said, address these things as they come up and make sure they don't just lie there and fester. So, through additions and subtractions, the game continued. And eventually I got some creative mojo back. But I soon ran into another tough decision. Now, some of you might remember back a few months ago that I mentioned on the show, might have been on a YouTube exclusive clip, I can't remember. Anyway, I mentioned that one of my players blew up my campaign by using a ring of three wishes. <laughs> well, if you heard that story before, then you're hearing it twice because I'm telling it again. Oh, and I do have to do a recall from a few minutes ago in this show. So if you'll remember, I mentioned that if you're working on the ending of your campaign, the end of your big bad evil guy would definitely qualify. Okay, let's remember that. Next up, you'll need to know that Jim had missed a couple of games, and this event happened like the game he got back. So the players had dealt with some more of the minions of the big bad evil guy and were trying to decide what they wanted to do next. My impression, watching them discuss things, was that they were trying to work out the most tactical way to handle things and have them resolved as quickly as possible. I also noticed that while Jim was involved with the discussion, he was also focused on something on his character sheet and he was writing something down. All of this came into play a few minutes later when he asked to speak with me privately. So we excused ourselves from the room, spoke away from the rest of the group, and that's when he let me in on his plan. He wanted to use two gems on his Ring of Three Wishes to, one, have the big bad evil guy teleported into a circle of dimensional anchor that he would close when he got there, two, have the big bad evil guy without weapons or a way to defend himself. The writing Jim had been doing was to work out how he wanted to word the two wishes, as you have to say them out loud for the spell to work. Look it up. I looked over his writing. I made the decision he could do what he was wanting to do. So with that, we returned to the group, and Jim informed him of the plan. He even said at the time, somewhat jokingly, that uh, Wayne wouldn't let me do this if it was going to break the game, I'm pretty sure. I laughed, but what I didn't say at the time was that this plan would break the game as I had planned for the end of the game to be the death of the big bad evil guy. Needless to say, everything went the way they wanted and they killed my evil dude and broke my campaign. So, having just gotten back to being creative, I knew I was going to be challenged to pick up the pieces and save the show. Oh, and for the record, I did tell them that Jim had broken the game, but that I would figure something out. Now, what were my mistakes and what's the teaching point here? There's really three ways you can look at this. One, I, I didn't do anything wrong. My group got to do something uber cool, it made them happy, and they were still talking about it a session or two later. In that case, no teaching point. Two, I shouldn't have allowed Jim to use the Ring of Three Wishes in the manner he was trying to use it. And there are a ton of GMs who I'm sure believe this. And, and truth be told, there's a lot of history there concerning wishes. I don't have enough time left in the show today to get into all of that, but just about every GM who's ever run a game has a wish story. 
I should also note, there have been a few folks who've hit me up on Twitter since that story came out to offer their own thoughts about it. I mean, look, I, I very easily could have just said no. I mean, it, it would have been simple to just make the decision, look Jim in the face, and tell him it wasn't going to happen. But here's the thing. I gave the group that magic item. So saying that they can't use it, that'd be kind of a twit move, don't you think? So it leaves the third possible option. I could have allowed the wish spells to go off as intended, but I could have either found a way to mess with the wish spell itself, based on what Jim wrote, or I could have allowed it to go straight through and have the big bad evil guy's minions teleport to his location right behind him, causing one hell of a fight. That last thought, allow the wish, but give them something more than expected, that would have probably been a good alternative idea. And looking back on it, I probably should have done that. Why didn't I? Honestly, it was late in the evening at this point. I was tired, I was starting to lose focus. Plus, I just decided to let the group have the big win, along with all the happiness and the fun that comes with that. So what's the lesson here? Use wishes the way you want to. If you ask 10 GMs their opinions of wish spells, you're gonna get 11 answers, and I'm not kidding. So if you wanna be a stickler for language, do that. You wanna find a way to mess with your group every time they use one, do that. You wanna let your group use them however they want, do that. You want wish spells to be some sort of high-level magic that have a tongue of strings attached? Do that. If you don't want to use wishes in your game, do that. That's my lesson. Do with wishes what you will. Okay, look, I know we're going to run really long today, but I have one more thing I want to dissect for my campaign because I think we can learn a little something from it. So, you remember when I mentioned each of my players had two characters in the campaign, right? We did that just a little bit ago? My plan was that they were always supposed to be separate. Short form, players were supposed to play one character and one character only at a given time. Yeah, the fact that I've just spent this much time setting this up means you know where I'm going. And I'm not going to take a ton of time with explaining how it happened, but needless to say, we eventually reached a point where both groups were on the same battlefield at the same time, and the players insisted on playing both characters at the same time. I had attempted to make my work a bit easier by suggesting splitting the groups and running one at a time, but the group was insistent on running both groups at the same time. Seven players times two characters each equals 14 PCs on the board at a time, along with all of my NPCs, at bare minimum a one-to-one -one ratio. Needless to say, we had battles that were taking 90 minutes of real time for about three rounds of actual combat. It was a slog, both for me and for the players, and it was a major time suck. So the lesson I would give you here is to not do the two characters per player thing I did. I mean, the company thing wasn't a bad idea. I just think I might have been better served not letting the players create the junior officers for themselves. Again, that's not their fault. That one's on me. Now, it could also be argued I could have just put my foot down and told them no when they insisted on playing both characters in the same combat at the same time. And yeah, if I'd have done that, they'd have probably gone along with it. But if you think back to something I said about 6,000 words ago, I'd already beaten them over the head and forced them to do something I'm not 100% sure they wanted to do. So at that point, I just wanted to get through the evening and see how things went. My group was happy-ish but I wasn't. And that's a problem all its own. I don't have advice for fixing that. I wish I did. But I've made it a point to learn from that, and I will endeavor to not put myself in that sort of position again. So, 
That campaign has come to a close and we are now awaiting the start of the next. So with that, we've come to the end of today's tour. Look, before I say anything else today, I want to thank everybody for catching our podcast. I know we're like a whole day late at this point. Been a lot of stuff going on for me personally lately and just timing ran out this week. I am endeavoring to work on a plan so that we either stay on schedule or we just change our release day. Haven't decided yet. For now, let's just plan on uh, sticking to the Fridays at midnight. If I'm going to make a change, I will announce it at an episode. But anyway, thank you for your patience. I do appreciate it. Okay, so what are we going to do next week? Next week, we're going to take a look at diversity in gaming. It's been a, a hot topic in the tabletop role-playing game world recently. And I think what I want to do is, is to uplift. So we're going to take a look at all kinds of stuff in the tabletop role-playing world. Uh, stuff created by very diverse individuals. The kind of folks who normally aren't going to get you know, the, the big market shout out that they deserve. So we're going to give them a shout out here. And um, some of it's going to be games. Some of it's going to be podcasts. Some of it's going to be live stream games. Some of it's going to be, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm still researching it even as I record. So you're going to have to tune in to see everything we hit. All right. So the music we use for this show, as you know, comes from pixabay.com. Hit them up if you need royalty-free music for your presentation. Of course, you are the reason that we do this every week. I do thank you for your continued support, and I thank you for continuing to tell all your friends about us. Now, as always, you can hit us up on Facebook, Role Playing History Podcast. Send me a tweet at Role Playing P. YouTube, we've got that channel. It's the Role Playing History Podcast. You know what you need to do when you get there. If you want to send me an email, you may do so. Podcast at gmail.com. I said this once before. I'm going to say it again because it bears repeating. All of that should be showing up in the info for the show in case, you know, because maybe you don't want to pause it to write it down. So it should be there. If it's not, somebody send me a line and let me know so that I can bitch at somebody about getting it right. So next week, we're going to dig into diverse projects in the role-playing game world. And I really hope you join us for this because we are going to, like I said, give a lot of folks who could use a plug a plug. It's going to be fun. That's next week. Until then, I'm Wayne Davis and your role-playing history. 